Spring of Life Fellowship and the vision of changing the world invites you to listen to a message of restoration and strengthening for your life. Let's listen to our guest. Say a prayer. Lord, I just pray as that child was speaking, and he represents 1.7 million children that have a parent in prison. And Lord, I pray that even as a church, we'll get a revelation, Lord, of breaking that cycle. And Lord, even as we go into the Word of God, Lord, I pray that you'll just help make it even more evident that we'll call to change the world. And we'll call to break every curse because it's by your blood. And we thank you now that as we make a stand, we're going to stand for righteousness and make a stand of peace ourselves. Lord, we'll make a stand in our community that, Lord, this cycle has to stop. Lord, help us, oh God, to know what you're calling us to do. We thank you for it now. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I wanted to pray right then because I think it's so very vital that we take it very seriously, what's going on around us. Of course, that, 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 that cry of that child is so very evident when seven, you, you probably saw the statistic, that seven out of 10 children that have a parent in prison go to prison themselves. So we all know that the, the curse is broken. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. And because we know and we understand this scenario, we do understand that by his blood those, those curses can be broken. But we know that's a, that's a very spiritual thing. But at some point, God has to use us as the church to begin to volitionally and conscientiously go into these families in whatever way God gives us. One of the ways that we happen to do it, and everybody may have a different way of doing it, but one of the ways that we've done it in prison, prison fellowship is we have our angel tree program. And what we do with that is, and I, I heard you say Operation Christmas Child, there's, all, there's so many different ways to reach out to children. But in our case, what we do is we'll, we'll ask the, kid, the families to take on children of prisoners and then take that kid a gift at Christmas and then go to the home if they will allow you to come in, bring the gift on behalf of the inmate or the prisoner. Say, Daddy asked me to bring you this. But, but then this opens the door for ministry. And then you can minister the love of Christ and then you can pray with the family and hopefully God will open up doors maybe where you can mentor the child or take the child out, do some things, take them to camps, things, other opportunities to hopefully give the child some other options other than the environment that they're in that generally speaking leads them to prison themselves. But if the church can come in. Uh, on the back end, some of the things that we do, I just left um, uh, a reentry conference yesterday up in, in uh, Fort, La uh, Fort Lauderdale and we're encouraging churches to get on the back end, maybe to, to, to adopt inmates as they come out and mentor them as they come out and walk them through the transition. But whatever is done, we have to, we have to do 
something and we have to make a stand. Now I want to bring your attention over here to Ephesians and uh, chapter chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. And, and here this scripture shows us how important this whole thing is. I, I was telling somebody now, uh, I, I have a very, very well-used Bible I'm using right now. Actually, this Bible's been, I can't even tell you how long this Bible's been with me. Well, well, part of the reason I'm using this is because of this is what we're talking about. I was uh, doing what I do. I was in San Antonio, Texas, and uh, went to lunch. And, and uh, it was during the middle of the day, busy parking lot, and guess what? My bag in the back seat, I come out after lunch, and uh, the crash window comes to my surprise, and of course the bag's taken out. Well, even though I lost my iPad and my, no my, my laptop and you know, some of my keys and my adapters and checkbook, even though I lost all that, what really was my real pride and joy were my preaching Bible. It's a preach from. If you, if you have a ministry, you got, you, how many people have a favorite Bible? Favorite, favorite Bible? Yeah, well, if y'all, can those of you that don't raise your hand, don't have a Bible? Okay. Maybe that's a translation problem. Anyway, I have a favorite Bible that I love. So I preach from those Bibles. I minister out of those Bibles. So anyway, I've, I've gone back and found one of my early preaching Bibles. Now you're really in trouble because I think everything is highlighted. The whole Bible is in highlight. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so anyway, Ephesians chapter 6, I try not to preach every highlighted scripture, uh, but Ephesians chapter 6 and in verse 10, it says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And I love this scripture because it clearly starts with being to tell you that you have to be strong. We cannot be Christians and, and, and weak. One of the messages that I tell guys when I, you know, have the opportunity to get inside of a prison and preach to them, I'm going to tell you, I said, listen, you, you have too much around you, too many influences, too many people that are attacking Christianity. You, you cannot be weak. I mean, you walk out of here, you go into our communities. Everybody's vying for the greatest influence, the, the, this culture pushing away from the things of God. The, the, the temptation is that that no one will stand for Christ. So, so you cannot stand as a weak Christian. The Bible says you have to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able, here we go again, be able to stand against the wiles of the, de of the devil. And I'm going to just say this, the enemy is always busy. He, he says he, that he, he's trying to come against you in every opportunity. So that's why we pray prayers like, like um, we're standing against the, the, the enemy. Or, or when we think about the church moving, say that, and, and the gates of hell should not prevail against the church. The church has to be on the move. The church has to be on the offense. Because if all we can do is just kind of fight off the devil, he's constantly coming at you. So, so you better get on offense. 
And so what, what happens is when you have your whole armor on, it allows you to stand, not so much standing in defeat, or, or I should say defense, but, but it's to withstand. It's almost like if you're going against a heavy wind. And, and so, but you're walking and the wind's coming against you. Yeah, you, you may need a coat, you may need some, 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 some gloves on or, or something covering your head because you got to stand against the pressure of that wind. But, but, you, but, but you're not going to stand still and just kind of find up against a corner and let the wind overtake you. No, you're pressing through. You press through the mark. That's what Paul said. He had to press through. He pressed for the mark of the prize, which was in Christ Jesus. He, could, he would not let it go. So, so we can't let our communities go. We can't let our families go. We cannot let our young people go. Our life has to be a life where we ourselves are strengthened in, in the armor. And then it goes on further and it says, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Do understand that our fight is not individuals or people. That there are spiritual powers that are fighting against us. I, I, I'm, I'm pretty hard. I, I, I don't know if you notice that uh, that I'm African American, <laughs> but I'm hard on the churches when I go because I, you know it's one thing if the church knows the Lord and they're spirit filled. Then I then I'm, then I'm willing to say, okay, now if you're spirit filled and you understand what it is moved by the Spirit, then I feel like the standard should go higher. Because you have a higher spiritual understanding. I feel the same way. If I go into African-American church, I'm like, listen, we cannot, we cannot, we cannot ignore the needs of the African-American community. That it has to be a priority. Why? Because those, those are, those, that's, that's my family. So, so I'm coming here saying we can't ignore the needs of the Hispanic community. Because why? The, the need is great. Because powers of darkness are fighting against you. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. It, it doesn't really have to do with race at all. It doesn't have to do with ethnicity at all. It, it's every attempt the enemy can make to some way steal our joy, steal our hope. I, one, I, I preached on hope one time, and, I, and I, I started looking up a lot of sayings and quotes on hope. And one of the ones that really struck my heart was this question about what happens when hope is lost. And, and, it, and it started using an analogy that says, well, you know, you can go 40 days on a fast without eating. And your body still will, will, will be uh, uh, all right. You can, you can make that. It may be a struggle. The Bible talks about how that three days without any water, whether you realize it or not, I'm not just saying you necessarily die, but some form of dehydration is going to start to happen. Your body is going to start dehydrating. And so 
it's not good for you to go past that, that time. But listen to this. But one second without hope, and you did. Why? Because without hope, you don't have vision. Without hope, you don't have faith. The Bible says that now faith is the substance of things what? Hope for and the evidence of things what? Not seen. In other words, you cannot even walk in faith if you don't have hope. Because faith is the substance of that which you're hoping. So, so in reality, we have to realize that Hope has to be our driving force. We can't lose hope for our community. We can't lose hope, and we can't let the, the, the enemy make us think that he's winning and that our communities are hopeless. A, a, a man or a woman is spending their life over and over and over, going back to prison, going back to prison, going back to prison, well, well, that's hopeless. Their, their children are bound to, to go to prison themselves. Well, well that, that family is, is hopeless. Their, their destiny has no, no power. No, that's not true. Somebody has to come in and speak hope, destiny, and purpose. But, but what has to happen for that to happen is that some hope has to be inside of you and I. We have to be vessels of hope. So we have to know that when we're fighting this fight, that we're dressed in our armor, we're wrestling not against flesh and blood. It says, verse 13, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to what? To stand, and then the next verse starts off with the same word. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness. In other words, the Lord is expecting us not to fall. And it says, the Bible does say, when you fall, a righteous man may fall seven times, but he gets up. Well, the challenge if you do fall. And actually, I'm not even talking about falling into sin. I'm talking about falling in faith, where fear takes over. You're afraid to move out. Isolation comes in. You're separated from the body. Many times, the enemy may use different things to bring you away from the things of God or his perfect will. But, but in reality, if that happens, you get back up. And you take a stand. Number one, you got to take a stand in your family. You have to make sure that, yeah, I'm concerned about other families, but I'll tell you right now, I have to make a stand. The Bible says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So, so you have to, you're applying the blood. Now this thing is, is nothing to play with because if you Go to a, uh, a doctor because of an ailment or a sickness. The doctor will want to know, even before you get in to see him, you probably will get a sheet of paper on a clipboard. And they want you to check off 
all of the ailments or sicknesses that's in your family line because they want to know what sicknesses, diseases are in your blood type. And they, the idea is that if, in fact, you have had certain diseases or sicknesses that visited your grandmother or great-grandmother, grandfather, great-grandfather, or parent, or, or someone close in, that there is a possibility or even maybe the possibility and maybe even a probability that that same sickness or disease could come and affect you. So they want to know what's in your bloodline. Well, now, if the, if the medical arena looks at this, my God, what about spiritually? If you know in my background has been addiction, promiscuity, this is rebellion, stubbornness, people that for whatever reason resist submitting to God. But for whatever reason God's hand is upon my life, I've been changed, I have received Jesus as my Lord and Savior, so right now for my family, just like with a disease or a sickness, that curse has to stop right here. So at some point, you have to make a stand in your family. You have to make a stand in the natural that says that, yes, my family may have high blood pressure. My family may have had diabetes, but that doesn't mean that my children will have it. So therefore, I'm pleading the blood of Jesus. I'm praying right now and saying from this point forward, that curse is broken over my family. Same thing with sin. It, it, yes, there might have been addictions in my family. There might have been some that went to prison that, that were stubborn. They were, they were lawless. In my, in my family, there, there have been those that have gone astray and done all kind of crazy things. But, but I'm saved now. I am the standard because Jesus is in me. And from this point, I declare that curse is broken over my family. So, so before you can even take the culture or take the community, first you got to take your own home and say, this is holy ground. We're, we're, we're going we're gonna to live for Jesus right here. So, so, so in the process of it, you, what you're doing is you, you're taking a stand. You, you're taking a stand. Even when we saw this video, it, it, it's put, it, it, he, was, he was quoting scriptures. He, he was obviously excited to, to be around his father. And what I'm saying is, but, but at some point, someone to save a child like this has to make a stand. And so once you get past that in your individual life, then the next stand you got to take is, actually, to be honest with you, it's, it's in the work of ministry. In other words, when, you, when your pastor says things like, we're going to be a world-changing church, that we're going to impact the world. In other words, what, what, you, what you has to happen is that we have to make a stand, listen to this, 
to stand together. So then we stand behind our pastor in his vision. Because in reality, you know as well as I do, I've been around church folk a long time. Just because they sit there in the seats doesn't mean they're lined up in vision with the pastor. Why y'all looking at me like that? Okay, so well, no, that's not, you're in the wrong place, brother. We all right there. I understand, I understand. That's what they tell me in my church, too. The point I'm saying is that, that the, the question is, because you can have 200, you can have 20. Because, but, but it doesn't necessarily mean that everybody is on one accord. So, so you have to make a decision. We, we're going to stand together in vision. The scripture talks about how in the upper room, they, 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 they sat there and it says that when they were on one accord, the Holy Spirit came in and like cloven tongues of fire, it is set on every head. So, so fire lit every person individually, however, it didn't individually light the fire until they were on one accord. When you look at the scriptures over and over again, it talks about how that, that this Bible says the same thing, how can walk, two walk together unless they be agreed in Amos. Now, if you look at another translation of it, I like the way it says, how can two walk together unless they agree on the same direction? How many people you understand that can have vision, but that's what division is, is divided vision. Well, one person is going another way, I'm a leader myself. I have my own anointing. I understand we have a senior pastor. I understand we have leadership, but I have my own anointing. So I'm going to use my anointing somewhere else to do something else. And, you know, I come to church, but I'm not really a part of them that much because I want to do what God's called me to do. See, the way that we handle it is we make it spiritual. I tell you what, in charismatic concerns and Pentecostal areas and people where we hear from God, God must be really confused. Because one minute God will tell you, I want you to join this church and follow this man's vision. But then he'll get confused because six months later, he said, I want you to leave that church and go somewhere else and follow somebody else's vision. So what we say is, I was here for a season. My season's up. Amen, lights. Praise God. The point I'm making is, at some point, every leader is going to be challenged with what he believes. But to walk together, it takes sacrifice. It takes commitment. It takes unity of purpose. So, so, so even in the church to do our calling, we have to make a decision to stand together in vision. Yeah, I might have some things I like to do in life, and God, God will bless you. As a matter of fact, I, I'm a perfect example of that. I've been with 
with uh, Bishop Boone over the last, I guess, and I, I was just trying to count it up, is right at about 30 years now. Now, but, but, but my surrendering and vision, do you think that we always want, you think we think exactly alike? That everything he does is exactly the way I would do it? No. But the question is, I've learned to walk together with another leader and still be a leader myself. And so what that did was that opened the door for my leadership to come forth in other areas because I was able to faithfully serve. Because if you serve the vision of one man, of another man, then God will find you faithful to give you your own. So, so that door of faithfulness is what opens the door actually for your own ministry. But in the meantime, you have to stand together in, in ministry. I'll tell you something else you got to do in terms of making a stand. Ezekiel, matter of fact, go, go to it. Come to Ezekiel chapter 22. Ezekiel chapter 22. This one may be actually the most critical one here. Ezekiel chapter 22 and verse, verse 30. And I, I almost have to read a little ahead to get down to 30. This scripture here is talking about those that have been, um, been, been in the, the, the world or in the, the kingdom and, and they're, they're, they're using their giftings for the wrong thing. If you look all the way back to verse 25, say there's a conspiracy of our prophets in the midst of like a roaring lion ravening the prey. In verse 26, it says, this is of course chapter 22, verse 26 of Ezekiel. It says, it says, her priests have violated my law and have profaned mine holy things. They put no difference between the holy and, and the profane. So there were issues now with the prophets. There, there were issues here with the priests. Then it goes on and it says in verse 27, it talks about the, uh, the princes. The prince in the midst thereof are like wolves raving in the prey to, to shed blood and to destroy souls and to get dishonest gain. Her prophets, verse 28, have daubed with untempered mortar. But then it goes on. Then the people have used the pressure. And it sounds actually a lot like the conditions that we're in because the question in our nation right now is who can really trust leadership? So, so the media takes on the role of a prophet. And they, says, they say, if you don't tell me what you've been doing, we're going to find it out and expose you. So every leader, particularly in the, in, in the, in the uh in a political realm, but it doesn't even in a political realm. It could be in a spiritual realm. I mean, once the media gets a hold of it, it's going to find something wrong that you've done. And my God, now that you have Google, internet, 
Facebook, Twitter. I mean, that, there's nothing. It's, it's come the time now where there's very little you can do 10 years, 15 years ago that can't not be found. If you follow the trail, what's the point? The point is, is that when you start really dealing with our nation as it is, people begin to really question leadership in terms of who they can trust. But then the Lord dealt with all of that. He talked about the prophets, the priests. He goes right down the line, but then he comes to verse 30. He says, and I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land. Not for myself, not for my mortgage payment, not for my car note. And listen, and not even for my cell phone bill. I sought for a man that would make up the hedge, stand in the gap before me for the land, that I should not destroy it, but I found none. He says, I'm looking for a man that will stand in the gap. God, God's calling us to another level of prayer. Amen. When it comes to the church, he said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. I, I heard someone just recently talk, say, bring people coming together for prayer right here. Let me just say this, the most important thing that happens in this church and every church in the world it is not just the singing, not just the worship, not just the preaching. It's the prayers of the saints. So you can have a barometer to determine your, your, your spirituality right now. It would not be how many teachings have you heard, how many messages have you listened to, how many praise songs do you have on tape. The barometer of your spirituality is how effective is your communication with the living God on a daily basis. What's going to break the curse? What's going to take the church to the next place is how we cry out to God on behalf of others. Not just our personal circumstance, but will we cry out to them and say, Lord, impact this world. Impact our community. Impact my city. Impact my community. Lord, change these lives right now. And I want to just say to you, I believe that this church, because you have a tremendous pastor here and leadership here, I, I believe you have a very special calling. It really goes way beyond you and the numbers because God's given you influence around the nations of the world. But also God's given you influence right here at home. 
God's raising up men and women right here that have destiny and purpose. Some of you are younger, some of you are in school, some of you have a different uh, career objectives, some of you work in different capacities. But, but all of you have a calling of God to make a difference. And I just want to tell you that you have to make a stand. You cannot settle for average. You cannot settle to be a casual Christian that the most significant thing that you do is show up to church on Sunday. And when you show up, you feel good about yourself. Well, I want you to feel good about yourself. But more than that, I want you to feel good that you're obeying the voice of the Lord and you're doing his will, that you're following his steps and his purpose, and that you can say with assurance that I am 100% in the will of God right now, and I'm doing what the Lord has called me to do. Now, well, quite honestly, most of us can't say that. Many, many, many Christians can't say that. They say, well, I'm not really there yet. I know I'm not where I'm supposed to be. But that's okay. At least acknowledge it. But, but if you acknowledge it, you cry out to the Lord, Lord, not my will, but thou wilt be done. Amen. Lord, that I may decrease, that you may increase. And ask the Lord to begin to impact your life and take your life where he wants it to be. God's calling us. To make a stand. And I just want to close and I want to pray with us right now. And I just want to ask you to consider right now where you are. And, and I believe also this is corporate. Where we are even as a church. What is it that the Lord wants us to do to stand with our pastor? To stand with the vision of the church? What is it he wants us to do to make a stronger stand in my household? What is it that he wants us to do to make a stronger stand in the community where I live? What is he calling me to do? Bow your heads, please. Lord, I thank you that you have a tremendous calling upon this church. I just feel that, that there is even almost a weight of the call and Lord, I know that you're doing many things. I do know that. Many are going abroad. They're, they're reaching nations. They're, they're obedient. So Lord, this is in no way saying that there aren't some that aren't doing and performing your will. But Lord, my prayer is not for those. My prayer for those in the room that know in their own heart they're not where they should be. Maybe they aren't as faithful as they should be. Maybe they aren't as consistent. Maybe they have not yet come into the fullness of the calling of God in their life. Maybe in somewhere they haven't made a stand. Lord, I ask you, Father, right now to, to change our hearts, oh God. Let me just ask this question while you're here. 
if you know in your heart there's some area of life, and this doesn't, there's some area of life that you know you need to make a stronger stand, whether it's prayer, whether it's in your household, whether it's in the community, whether it's standing in vision, just stand to your feet with me. I want to pray this corporate prayer right now. Let's to make a stronger stand right where we are. Lord, as those that are standing are standing now, Father, Lord, they're standing physically. But Lord, I'm praying about a spiritual stand. Then Lord, you would take us to that place where we would make a stand for righteousness. We'll make a stand for consecration. We'll make a stand in our homes and our families that, that we'll live for you, oh God. We'll make a stand, oh Lord, in the church and we'll stand with the vision of the church. We'll stand with the past and the direction that we'll go in. We'll, we'll make a stand. We'll make a stand when we see these kids that parents maybe have parents in prison or, or they're needy or crime is all around them or, or they, they're, they're homeless or they're orphans or Father we, we refuse to allow this next generation to follow the footsteps of their parents if they're going astray. Lord we will make a stand. And most of all Lord we'll make a stand spiritually. When you look on around this nation and you say, I look for a man. I look for a man that will stand in the hedge. That will stand in the hedge and cry out before me on behalf of the land. And Lord, you said you found none. Lord, I thank you in this room. There are room full of those that will stand in the gap. They will make up the hedge. They will stand in the gap on behalf of others that are weak, others that have a need, others that are lacking. They'll stand in the gap for families that are aching and burdened and, and that have lost hope. They'll stand in the gap for those in prison that, that don't know their destiny and purpose in life. They'll stand, oh God. They even stand for kids in the nations that don't know the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, we're here and we're standing. We'll stand with everything that we have. We're not going to turn back. We're not going to go back to Egypt. We're not going backwards, Lord. We're standing and we're moving forward. We're moving forward, Lord. We're standing strong and we're marching forward. And I bless you now, Lord Jesus. Your will shall be done. Say this, not my will, but thou wilt be done. Say it again, not my will, 
but thy will be done. One more time. Not my will, but thy will be done. Let's just give the Lord praise. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Glory. Thank you, Jesus.